people in Oxford in, in the United Kingdom here. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it, it's a very cool backdrop you have there. Is that uh, from California or Central America? That is actually from El Salvador where we uh, have our, our project that we spent six years building. It's actually just out of the frame of the bottom of the photo, yeah. Very nice, amazing. Yeah. I was thinking, I really enjoyed your, your insights at the uh, MIT Water Conference. Uh, I was thinking maybe uh, it, I could offer an introduction of myself if you wanted to offer an introduction as well and uh, talk more about the project you're working on, uh, and then we can run from there. That sounds great. Go ahead and lead the way. Fantastic. That sounds good. Um, I, I have a background in international food and agricultural business and uh, investment management historically. And uh, it worked for a couple of years in an investment firm in Canada that uh, worked with farmers to expand their land bases by uh, purchasing farmland that would be underutilized and helping farmers to utilize it further. And then after a while, I, uh, I worked uh, I, kind of on the consulting capacity at the, at the World Bank and a couple of other uh, small institutions and decided that I wanted to educate myself better on the sustainability side of the, the water and food nexus, uh, as they call it right now. Um, and I, I decided to take a degree at uh, University of Oxford and uh, just hoping to learn right now and, and try to discuss ideas pertaining to water and food uh, and how it can be uh, more equitably distributed in a way that is also commercially viable. Oh, wonderful. Well, I had a wonderful time meeting you uh, at the MIT Water Summit a few weeks ago. And I, I really yeah, enjoyed it. Was, that was, uh, it was incredible. I took, I took amazing, um, uh, a lot of notes. Uh, I learned, I learned so much. I'm still processing a lot of what we were exposed to there. The, the people that we met, the information, the new information that we, we learned. And, um, you know, you and I uh, met there. It was an honor to meet you. And we decided to do this chat together. Of course, I've spent uh, six years, uh, Work this this backdrop that I have uh, behind me isn't just a stock photo off of the the internet. That's a nice photo. It, it is a nice photo, but it's actually taken from a friend of mine who used a drone to uh, put together uh, basically a little seven minute film that documented our our six years of effort building our our own uh, small scale decentralized uh, desalinization system that that is. Uh, helping to service uh, 38 families there in, in Palmercito uh, in, in El Salvador. So sort of my, one of my uh, passions in life is uh, taking the lessons that we have uh, learned there in six years and now beginning to apply those to some, to some other contexts in the world. Because as you and I both know, um, water uh, is uh, already a scarce resource and we're gonna add a billion people to the planet in the next 30 years by 2050. So that creates a problem. And uh, I think uh, that's why we've met and become friends. We're gonna get to work, work on that together and learn from each other and see if we can come up with some long-term sustainable solutions. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today.
Hey, my yeah. pleasure. No, what you're doing is very, very cool. It, and uh, desalination, it, it seems to be an area of, of great interest going forward. Yeah, I think people have start, started to understand that we already have about, you know, eight, eight billion people in the world, pretty much the existing water supplies on all continents are tapped as far as it pertains to the um, water table um, under land. So that then leaves us with the next option, which is the future. It's what covers two thirds of the planet and that's the ocean. And so we're gonna have to create the infrastructure. So uh, when I talk about this with people, I explain it like this, you know, 50 years ago, the most prestigious information in the world was in the Ivy League library system, um, in the I Ivy League libraries of the world. So in order to access that information, you needed to attend uh, Harvard or Yale or, or Oxford. Now those, those still remain the, the most prestigious academic institutions in the world. But one thing has changed and that is we've now created a system uh, called the internet, which uh, brings quality to information. So now information to a large degree for those who have a, a smartphone can access really any piece of information in the world. However, you have to know the right questions to ask. So, but the difference is, is that we've now created the infrastructure where the information is accessible. So that is, and, and the information, the price point of information is actually coming down almost to zero now. You can almost find any piece of information in the world uh, for free if you know what question to ask and you know who to ask it to. <laughs> so people say, people say, well, yeah, I don't, I don't need an education. You know, I'm, I, uh, you know, I have the internet and, and my answer to that always is that's true. You have the internet and it's true. You have the access to the information, but education teaches you the questions to ask and who to ask them to. So that, that's, uh, that's, um, so that's exciting. So as, as we start to look at, at the world of water, um, and, uh, we're really going to have a chance to start to create some of, some of that infrastructure ourselves. So that's, that's very exciting. And, uh, in fact, so much so that there was an entire, uh, an entire part at the MIT water summit that talked about decentralization in the food and water sector that I found that to be the most, most fascinating part. I don't know about you, but I was really into it. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is fascinating that it seems to be almost legislatively driven uh, through governance uh, or governments rather, um, as well as kind of underpinned by your, your private sector and specifically your financial sector that uh, are looking to gain exposure to um, a water scarcity, quite frankly, but also the sustainable side of that as well. And uh, <laughs> Uh, the components where they can invest in climate resilient infrastructure and help with a, a net zero uh, carbon economy uh, transition. And I think that, you know, investing in water is, and water um, infrastructure specifically is one of the best ways to achieve that um, from a broad scale. Yeah. So one of the reasons I like to do this is because uh, it gives us a chance to involve people in the conversation about 
water. It's a it's it needs it needs to be a global conversation. So there are there are people like uh, you and I that have an academic background, a research background, a sort of a science background, an education background. So one of the reasons I like to do this is to sort of bring it down a level and make these conversations uh, accessible to people that are you know already working and have other interests, but try to to try to involve them in this conversation. So I try That's to. Right. Try to try to make it fun. So I know that you're. Um, can you uh, just share with everyone um, where home is these days, and where you're living, and what your favorite meal is? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, I I'm uh, living in Oxford, United Kingdom. I uh, I'm from Toronto, Canada, and favorite meal is it's hard to go wrong with a good steak and potatoes. Uh, I thought you were going to say poutine. Yeah. Also nice after a night out, for sure. Okay. No, that's great. And uh, so a lot of, um, you know, a lot of learning, you know, you mentioned that you're, uh, you're at Oxford now and you're, you're learning. And I, I just appreciate that so much. We're never done learning. It's part of what keeps life interesting. And um, one of my favorite questions to ask is, you know, what, what are you interested in these days? What are you curious about as we, uh, come to the end of 2020 what what's what's something you're really curious and interested in right now definitely it's a very good question and I entirely agree that we're all lifelong learners um and it doesn't stop this something that that's interested me recently are it, it, kind of the genetic uh traits in plants and uh, plant breeding that are more output focused and input focused. Um, there are ways to achieve uh, specific attributes and features in plant genetics um, that consumers want to eat. And it helps with the, uh, that movement of decommoditization, which I see to be uh, quite fascinating for future sustainability and, uh, and achieving the, um, the, the landscapes that we want to in agriculture. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I love that. I, I like what you said about the movement to de decommodify. Um, and by that, do you mean uh, like helping to drive the price down of, of food? Uh, to tell you the truth, in, in many ways, it, it's the opposite. We're likely not paying enough for food compared to the externalities associated with the production. Um, but if consumers are willing to pay more for food that's certified as uh, environmentally responsible, that's one form of decommoditization. Perhaps another form though is um, you, you purchase, let's say oatmeal based on a, a certain protein content and uh, plant geneticists are able to increase the level of protein in the plant itself, uh, which is very interesting. And then can also increase the yield and, and reduce the uh, uh, the level of water needs in, in that plant. Um, it, it, I think it'll be very helpful for the world going forward in meeting the nutritional needs that uh, especially individuals in developing countries are, are likely to face. Wow, that's wonderful. Now you mentioned that you um, have um, worked at the World Bank and you are you were at Oxford and you know so much of kind of our journey is about things that we wouldn't do again. <laughs> Some might call it failure, others might call it um, lessons in learning. <laughs> but one of my one of my um, 
one of my uh, favorite questions asked to is uh, just what's something, you know, that you've done recently that you would, that you wish you hadn't, you know, I think that, I think that mistakes can be very good teachers and um, you know, just, and I always couch this by saying, is there anything you've done in the last year that you failed at that you want to talk about? <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I fail at things all the time, uh, very regularly with, with alarming regularity in some cases. But um, I think learning from those failures are important as well. And in terms of aspects and, and projects and components of my life that I, I wish I hadn't done, it, it really comes down to, I wish I had done more. Um, I wish I, I had worked harder. There are projects that uh, I've had friends uh, very excited about and I've been very excited about as well. Um, and we really haven't gotten it entirely off the ground yet because um, part of it's time, but quite frankly, another part of it is just a level of discipline. And that's something I'm hoping to uh, improve going forward so that we can get those projects, whether they're entrepreneurial or more uh, charity focused, uh, whether we can get them in rotation and get a good cadence going. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I face a lot of the uh, same things as far as um, you know, how to, how to spend my time, how to, you know, prioritize the things that you need to manage and also prioritizing the things that you want to develop. And, uh, I'm always trying to get better at that. There's, there's, there's times I feel like I'm a little too hands off and I need to engage more you know, um, with people, but, you know, we just kind of figure it out as we go, you know, but I, I, I love what you said about sometimes when you're in an academic setting, it is hard to, when, when, and especially when you, when, when you want to complete a dissertation, you want to complete, I mean, it's like, and, and at the same time, you also have these, uh, entrepreneurial, um, projects that you want to work on is too and then it doesn't it doesn't help in those moments when you when you um you know watch movies where people who attended institutions dropped out and went and started companies <laughs> that's not helpful either but yeah i'm with you there i i think that it's important that we're always like looking back and trying to learn from from the things that we've that we've done um so i want to i want to hang a bit of a right here and um, kind of shift into the the ocean water side of things. You know a little bit about the project that I've worked on, and you know what what are your thoughts on it? what are your thoughts on it? I, you know, to tell you the truth, I, I know just the basics, but I, I'd love to learn more. So if, if you could uh, maybe describe it in a couple minutes, I, I'm I'm glad to share some high level thoughts on it. Yeah. So we've spent. Um, you know, basically six years in El Salvador, like developing relationships with um, the locals there, mostly through surfing. I have surfed since I was a, I was a kid. And so through these surf trips, we became good friends with uh, some Papo and Tiola and Mapache and Paco and Tessie and, and Yoselin and, and uh, just a whole host of people there. 
and we started to see that water was a problem. So at first we used uh, point of use systems like buckets. We installed buckets in like 150 homes, uh, but then we started to realize that there was a systemic problem with, so in this particular area in El Salvador, they were only getting water delivered to their home for like one hour a week. And it would get turned on from a hotel in the area that's about a mile away. And so for that one hour, they would fill up these like drums um, and then they'd have to like take a shower and, and try to get cleaned up. So, um, and then many times they've had to turn that water off completely. So we then started to think about, all right, well, what can we do to help provide like a long-term solution? So we uh, have a beach, uh, there's a well there uh, that we developed and then we installed a small scale portable desalinization system. It essentially like uh, is contained in like two suitcases that you would check in on a commercial flight and it has the capability to run off of solar. So we installed this system in the well. And, and so the well is important because people think, oh, well, it's a well, that means the water's clean. No, a well at the beach simply acts as the first layer of filtering because with rising sea levels, the salinity from the ocean is contaminating the water supply when you're close to the coast, which is exactly what's happened in El Salvador. So even if you have a well, it's a salty well and it's a brackish well. So it, when people hear the word well, it can mean that the water is clean once you have a well, but as you get close to the coast, that's not what it means. And so we use the well as a first basically layer of filtration and then we put uh, a desalinization system and then, and then from there, the water is stored in a, in a 750 gallon container and um, in January I'm going down there to put a piece of hardware on there that, that will aggregate the data so uh, we can get an idea of what the usage is uh, every day. Oh, right yeah. Right. Yeah. So and then after that that'll give us a much clearer read about the amount of water we're producing and using. And so um, and the nice thing is, is that the cost is coming down every year because the technology keeps getting applied to to these systems that are driving the cost down. So this co this project in El Salvador, outside of like taking trips down there, has cost about thirty thousand dollars. And so, and we're able to privately fund um, that system because not only do I have a, a doctorate in public health, but I'm also a pastor. And so uh, ocean water uh, installs uh, systems uh, that, that turn ocean water into drinking water. But then when we distribute the water, uh, we're able to distribute it because um, churches uh, are led by uh, local people. Uh, while our one in El Salvador who's born there and lived there his entire life. And so uh, they have a vested interest in managing the system for free. And so, as you know, one of the dilemmas of doing infrastructure project is the cost. But if you're a church, you have a distinct 
uh, advantage there outside of one's uh, religious beliefs or, or whatever. You do have an advantage from a cost side because you're able to privately fund the project and then you're also able to manage it for free. And so uh, th that's an opportunity we want to exploit because um, regardless of people's uh, religious beliefs, uh, they need water. And so uh, that, that is the, uh, that's the, uh, what we've been working on. Yeah, it's been great. I that is fantastic. You know, I, I think uh, you're going on a great path there. And uh, it, it, any aspect where you can uh, document things that worked that didn't work and provide that to the public domain, um, I believe that you're doing a service for society and something such as desalination, because it, it seems from what I've read, like more and more uh, cities with growing populations or rural areas with the low water tables are going to be relying on desalination in, uh, in if not the near future, then the extended future. Um, on the other hand there, just from a purely theoretical and economic standpoint, I am of the opinion that um, cost recovery can be a, a real, a very powerful tool in uh, scalability of infrastructure projects where the needs are. So um, finding what the willingness to pay of water is, seeing if the infrastructure project can be invested in just at a break-even cost and see uh, what, the, uh, what the cost per unit of water would look like based on that. Um, I, I think that can be helpful, especially in maintaining a lot of these uh, infrastructure projects as well. And there's great literature on it from around, around the world. Um, and the hand pump systems in, in Kenya and Uganda are, are some of the most interesting I've read recently. Um, just on uh, metering the, the hand pumps, seeing how often they break and seeing if they can be uh, maintained by a third party at a reasonable price for the locals so that there's a, a, an aligned incentive business model. But um, all that to say, I think you're, you're doing some fantastic things and some excellent philanthropic work. And uh, I hope you keep it up. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, more, we have more questions and answers at the moment. And I think one of the things that uh, we're trying to figure out is uh, we will be doing our, our next project in, uh, in Indonesia in March. Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah. yeah. We have a partner there um, at Kandui Island. It's a... Uh, one of the small islands in the Menawai Island chain of, of Indonesia. And so that system's already paid for and uh, it will be delivered there uh, in February. And then there's a, there's a team of 18 of us that are gonna go over there and we're going to, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna surf and uh, uh, we're going to uh, install the, uh, the system. So that's very exciting. And so uh, one, of, one of the things that's been fun is uh, a lot of times people think that philanthropic work can't be fun. I, that's not, that's not my journey. <laughs> hey, I entirely agree that, that there, that there should be a component of quality of life as well as philanthropy. Um, as long as that, that those same social welfare outcomes can be achieved, what you're doing sounds remarkable to me and, and all the power to you for it. Oh, thanks, Jeremy. I, I appreciate the love and, and uh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm really stoked we're friends and that we can learn from each other and there's so much to learn, so much work to do. And yeah, our next project is, is in, um, um, it's in Indonesia in March. And then we have one in, uh, in Bangladesh that we're going to do in the fall. 
And so we're, you know, we have a whole, whole new set of uh, problems we're going to have to navigate, you know, um, how to projects in, in uh, three or four different countries in three or four different languages with three or four different cultures. So I'm, I'm interested to try to figure that, <laughs> try to figure that out, but it's an exciting time. And, and I just, I'm really glad that we can be friends. Um, one of the, one of the um, things I like to end with is just, uh, is there any, any last um, words that, that we need to hear from, uh, from Jeremy today? What do you got for us, brother? <laughs> you know, it, just last words. When you said Bangladesh, you got me thinking that there have been some fantastic cutting edge studies in that space in the freshwater provision space in Bangladesh uh, recently. And I'm going to send those academic studies along to you after, after this call. Um, because, and also feel free to reach out to the individuals uh, who are conducting the studies and working on the, the water provision systems there. Um, I, I hope it'll be helpful. I think what you're doing is, is really quite excellent and the world needs more people with uh, uh, that mindset of generosity like you and your team. So great work, man. Oh, thanks so much, Jeremy. Well, I look forward to just an ongoing friendship and uh, thank you for taking time to have this conversation today. Uh, it helps us to, to raise minds. It helps people to think differently about how to, how to get at this issue and, and involves more people in it. So uh, to that end, I, I really appreciate your time today. I look forward to, to doing it again next time. Hey, that sounds fantastic. I hope you have a great day now, Ryan, and all the best in, in Indonesia, Bangladesh, and all your future projects. Uh, thanks so much, Jeremy. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye.